Good morning again. My name is Chris Say. Today we are going to follow up our clean series that Pastor Greg has been preaching on for the last four weeks about cleaning up our lives, finding things to clean up. The new series is called Treatment, and today's sermon is called Change or Making Changes. And we'll explore what that looks like today, from finding it to identifying it to fixing it. Before I do, there's a story I want to share with you. This happened to me a few months ago. Normally I eat oatmeal in the morning, but every now and then I eat cereal. And have you ever had a morning where you're really, really hungry and you're just, you're craving your favorite cereal? Have you ever done that? Well, I, did, I had this morning, I was craving the cereal and I, I checked the box that morning. I looked at it, there was just enough for one more bowl of cereal. That was it. There was one more bowl left and there were no backup cereals left in the cupboard. My wife had to go to the store that night or the next night and so there were no backups. I had, I had what I love, my favorite cereal, that was left, nothing backed up. And so I said, this is great. This is going to be a good morning. I'm hungry. Woke up hungry. I go, I, I prepare the bowl. Everything's perfect. I'm hungry. The bowl's there. The cereal's there. I go get the milk. I pour the milk. And as I'm pouring, the last com it crumbles coming out of the milk carton. Have you ever had that happen? A little bit of something ruined what I thought was me a perfect morning. And, and in my head, I thought, you've got to be kidding me, God. You, of all the days for the milk to be bad, this is the day that the milk is crumbly and I have only got one more bowl of cereal left. And I was frustrated, so I went back to my oatmeal that morning. So, anyways, the point is a little bit of something can ruin a lot of something that's really prepared well. And King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes about this. And so we'll read God's word. Please rise if you're able as I read God's word. This is from King Solomon. He wrote in Ecclesiastes, Dead flies makes a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God... Excuse me, let me go back a minute. We are now going to also add on Romans 12, and this is written by Paul, and it was a letter to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Please be seated. So we combine two verses today. We've got Ecclesiastes 10, which is an Old Testament verse, which talks about the problem. The problem is there's a fly in the ointment. And we've also combined Romans 12, which is a letter from Paul written to the church in Rome about solving the problem that Solomon proposed years ago. And I like to go through scripture verse, verse by verse, because uh, this is going to actually, this is, this is the anchor of everything we're going to talk about today. So let's start off. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. A thousand years ago, a perfumer did this. They would grow an herb, they would grow a flower, they would grow an essence. Then they would take that and they would either grind it up or they'd keep it pure and they'd put it into a vat of oil or a vat of a solvent and they'd boil it and they'd boil it for an extended period. And what that would do is the oil would sap the essence of that fruit or that smell out and it would, the oil would take that essence. And so this is a lengthy process from growing it or purchasing it to boiling it, preparing it, filtering it. There was a, there was a lengthy process involved. So the last thing a perfumer wanted, the last thing he wanted in the world, was a dead fly to make its way into the perfume. 
but we're, we're actually, he's, he's putting, or she's putting flowers into an oil, which is a natural attractant to flies and bees and, and different insects. So what Solomon's saying is, just like a perfumer's oil that takes months, weeks, days to prepare, a little foolishness can ruin wisdom and honor. Wisdom and honor in our, in our being, in our time, uh, it can take months, years, decades to produce. To, to be known as someone who's wise and to carry honor is not something that happens overnight. But what can happen overnight is a little foolishness mixed with your wisdom and honor, and you can throw it all in the trash. And you, you see this in the media all the time. The media is constantly taking a celebrity or someone who's really done some great things, and they're looking for that little, that little piece of dirt, and they show it. That's their flying the ointment. The media knows that gets attention, but what that also does is it takes this person who is actually a role model for our youth and a role model for some of us, and by throwing the fly up on the screens, you've ruined all of the wisdom and honor they've accumulated for decades. So Solomon's wisdom transcends, transcends centuries. Solomon goes on to say, a wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. If you have a habit of making wise decisions, you've got, a, you've got an internal compass that is always going to tend you to the wise and honorable way. If, if you've got a habit of making foolish decisions, your internal compass is going to direct you in the, the, the direction of foolishness, and it's going to take you off track. The, the, the issue for a foolish person isn't that they can't make wise decisions. The issue for a person who's got a habit of making foolish decisions is that they've got, a, they've got to contradict their internal compass They've got to think about what the right way is, and they've got to discern the right path forward. And we probably all know people in our lives who will habitually make wrong decisions. They'll go through, and it's time and time. It could be a family member. It, it, it could be a son or daughter. It could be a mom. Or, just habitually making unwise decisions. So what Solomon's saying here is if you direct your compass and make a habit of the right decisions, then when the time comes, you're not trying to fight your internal speak. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. Solomon goes on to say something that's of great wisdom. Have you ever walked into a room, and you just, somebody was standing there, and I can't explain why, but you just can't trust that person? They said three words, but you just can't trust them. Or somebody walks into a room, and immediately people almost feel like they need to rise because of the nobility that walked in the room, and the honor that walked in the room. It's, it's a spiritual thing. It's something you can't put words on. They could be dressed the same, look alike, but one person's foolishness walks into the room before they even get into the room. And Solomon, Solomon put his hand on this years ago. I want to touch on Paul's letter to the Romans. And this is Romans 12. Romans 11, he ends with, Paul ends with, God is so great, God is so glorious, God is beyond measure, God is incomprehensible. And then his next statement after God is so glorious, God is so powerful, he's, he's, he's beyond our reach. Because God is so big, therefore, therefore I urge you, brethren, brethren, brothers, sisters, children, parents, therefore I urge you, God is so glorious, I urge you by the mercies of God. And we can't, can't skip over these five words. By the mercies of God, not by our own strength, but by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So he's saying in chapter 11, God is so great and powerful. Therefore, your job, your spiritual service of worship, your, your job is to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. 
And you say, wait a minute. That's God's job. No, God wants that. But it is your spiritual service of worship to come before God, to relinquish your character defects, and say, God, I'm going to try to sanctify myself and be more like Christ. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, I have seen this in, in so many houses I visited. It's usually this saying, and there's usually flowers around it, and there's usually like, it's on your wall, and then it's like posted in your bathroom, and it's, it's all over. And, and, and don't raise your hand, but you might have this saying in your house. And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've seen this before. It's almost cliche, but it's a great verse. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not adapt. Do not accept the teachings of this world. We must live in this world, but do not accept it. Do not make it part of your own. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a profound statement, and that's something we're going to cover today. It starts in the renewing of the mind, and God's going to give us all kinds of tools to do this, and He wants us to do this, and He's going to actually blow the wind in our sails to do this. But it's our spiritual act of worship to renew our mind and to be conformed to God's way, not the world's way. Now, as wonderful as this saying is, there's actually a ton of wisdom in the verse that follows it. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So that you may prove what the will of God is. How do we prove what the will of God is? God is who He is. He is the great I Am. What Paul's saying is that if you take a step, like, like Solomon wrote a thousand years before, if you take a step in the proper direction, the wisdom and honor direction, you are proving the will of God because God will actually encourage that. He'll put the wind in your sails, to use a cliche, he'll put the wind in your sails, he'll put the wind at your back, and, and as soon as you start to move where God wanted you to move, he's going to prove you right. If you move in the direction he doesn't want you to move in, you're going to prove wrong in a lot of different ways. But his will is good his will is acceptable, and His will is perfect. So, where do these defects come from? We've got three sources, and if you're following along the bulletin outline, if, if you fill this out, I've got all the, all the answers are on the screen here. So, it's really easy. You don't have to discern what I'm saying. It's right on the screen. You can fill it in. There are three sources of defects, biological, developmental, and habitual. Number one is biological. Each of our parents had parents, and they had parents before that. And if you go up the line, everybody's great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, as we know, were not perfect, and that's why they were sent out of the garden. So everybody's lineage has a non-perfect lineage, okay? And then from that, I'm not a perfect parent, and neither were my parents. As much as I love them, they weren't perfect. And as much as my children love me, I'm not perfect. And so... What I do is I give them 23 non-perfect chromosomes. I have certain tendencies I tend to, and I pass them right along. So from a biological standpoint, we're passing along imperfection. We're passing along the human state. But if you have a predisposition for anger, if that's your family lineage, it doesn't give you an excuse to commit murder. If you've got a predisposition for laziness, it doesn't give you an excuse to be a bum. And if you've got an excuse, or if you've got a predisposition for alcohol, it does not mean you have to be an alcoholic. It means that is your cross to bear. That is the biological state you were given. And each of us has something, has that weakness. Mine may not be alcohol, but it may be something else. And so we have to accept, we have to understand what that, that defect is that was passed along. 
our next source is developmental. We were all raised, we were born and raised in a certain state. We have learned to cope in, in different situations based on how we were brought up. We have learned to protect ourselves, we've learned to deflect pain, deflect anger, and we've even had role models who may not have been perfect. Doesn't mean they were mean or bad, it just means that we had whoever we had to look up to in our lives as mentors, and we've taken on good and bad traits. So developmentally, we've picked up both good and bad. Habitual, or the habits we've made. It does not happen overnight to become who we are. When you're 30, it took 30 years. When you're 40, it took 40 years. There's a lot of years of choices backed up in, in, in who we are. If we choose something long enough, it becomes a habit. Whether it's good or bad, we choose something long enough, it becomes a habit. And we can get stuck in whatever we've chosen for long enough. I had a habit, and that's one of the stories I'm going to share today. I had a habit when I was young, and my bad habit was overeating. And, and a slight case of being lazy. Between the ages of 9 and 12, I had, I had determined to, gain my, to, to balloon my weight up to 245 pounds by the time I was 12. So if you can imagine a 12-year-old, me, 245 pounds, that was my habit. My habit was to eat, and I, I did not have control over it. I didn't, I didn't give it too extra thought. What I did realize, though, is I was the guy who wore the fat suit. I'm the guy who tore the fat suit off. So I, was, I understand completely what it feels like to have a habit that destroys your life. In fact, I know what it feels like to be morbidly obese. I was the kid who, when I walked into a room, I actually heard somebody say, look at the fat kid. And I heard that. It, it, was, it, it came before me. My, who I was came before me. And as a 12-year-old prepubescent boy, that can do a lot to destroy, destroy who I was. So I went through life like this um, up until that point, and I, I had no control. I, I, was not, I did not accept Christ as Lord and Savior up to this point, but I did attend a great church. And I knew enough to say, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't know what's happening, but I don't want to be like this anymore. This hurts. This is painful. But, there, but, but that's who I was. It was the habit I had. It was about eating, and I wasn't exactly overly athletic at the time. So there was one day... Uh, I was inside the house. It was about dinner time. My aunt lived next door. And my aunt was a person who was not afraid to tell you what you needed to hear. Whether it hurts you or not, she was not afraid to tell you. And that's a good and a bad thing. But in this moment, it was a great thing. So my mom is talking to my aunt next door. I opened my door. And I screamed out, the 12-year-old fat kid screamed out, Mom, I'm hungry. When are we going to have dinner? To which my aunt replied, why don't you have a glass of water and go for a run? I had no idea what to say. I shut the door. I got back in the house. I just stood there. And I said, how dare she say that? How who is she? And I thought to myself, you know, she's right, though. She is absolutely right. And so at that moment, I did exactly what she said. As much as my ego wanted to do exactly opposite what she said and eat because that felt good, I'm going to do this. So I took a glass of water, I pounded the water, and we lived in an old farm. My grandparents used to run the farm, and they stopped once they got to the point where they couldn't run it. So I just ran down and back the lane a couple times, as many times as my fat little body would take me. And uh, so <laughs> I ran back and forth. I got back in the house, and by that time, Mom was ready to make dinner. But I had turned a corner. And from that point forward, I realized I had a problem. And I realized the only way to fix that wasn't to eat myself out of the problem. 
And you can put whatever you've got in this, and you can, it's a 12-year-old boy here, you can put whatever defect you might have in there. I might be an angry guy. I, I might have a problem with alcohol. I might have a problem with porn. You can put whatever's in there. At some point, someone calls you out and says, why don't you have some water and go for a run? And it looks different for everybody. Why don't you not be so angry? Why don't you put the bottle down? But whatever it is, somebody's going to at some point scream to you, and they're rude. God forbid they should do that. They're going to say, you should stop that. But here's the point. If you had put, if you had to put this little, little chubby 12-year-old and you said, and you just put it in front of this church here and said, who's going to bet he's going to lose 80 pounds? So by the time I got to 14, I got down to 165. So I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just said, here's what I did. I said, I'm going to cut my intake in half and I ate half the food I would normally eat. If I wanted to eat 12 chicken fingers, which are not good for you, if I wanted to eat 12, I'd eat 6. If mom gave me a full plate of macaroni and cheese, i just cut it in half, put the other half back away, and I ate half of it. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what was supposed to eat. And I grilled chicken breast. I didn't know that was healthy. Vegetables, I knew I should eat them. I didn't. So if you had to put your money in this little guy, I would not have bet $5 that he would lose 80 pounds in two years. But I did. I lost 80 pounds in two years. And all I did was started lifting weights. I didn't know what else to do. I asked my grandfather, who had some extra weights, said, Grandpa, can I have your weights? And he said, yeah, I, I don't use them anymore. So I had my grandpa's weights before I went to bed every night. And this is another mistake. I did the same workout every single night. I curled, I benched, milled, I did that, and I did that every single night, which is not what you're supposed to do. And I cut my food in half, and I still ate bad food. I just ate half of it. And within two years, this, this chubby guy lost 80 pounds. And so here's the ironic part. So that was from seventh grade. In ninth, by the time I got to ninth grade, here's what happened. As a seventh grader, I had the 80s style thick glasses. And if you're still wearing them, I'm sorry, but I'm not making fun. But they're big, thick glasses. And if you, if you have this, I thought, I thought a mullet was cool, okay? So I had a mullet, and I had big, thick glasses, and I was 245 pounds. So by the time my, my freshman year in high school came around, I got contacts. I realized the mullet wasn't cool anymore. And I was 80 pounds lighter, and I had been lifting weights. So I got to high school, and this is how I was greeted in high school. This is how I was greeted. I came in with my JV jacket and my varsity jacket on. I was playing football, because if you can run and you lift weights, you're playing football. So I was playing football. I came in. Bill said, what school did you come from? We don't we never recognize you before. I said, I'm Chris Say. And their response immediately was, no, you're not. Chris Say's fat. Who are you? I said, I'm Chris Say. And that's how I was greeted in high school. That's what I came upon. That was my life. And from that point forward, things had changed. When I was in seventh grade, there were some girls I wanted to date. You know, I wrote a little note to them that said, will you or won't you? Yes, no. And you hold your hand. Well, every time I wrote that note, I always came back, no. The ironic part was in ninth grade, this girl I wanted to date in seventh grade asked me out. It, 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 all because the habit changed. The defect in my life changed. It was by the grace of God. But this is an example. When you step in the direction God wants you to step in, he blows the wind in your cells and he makes it easy. This 12-year-old boy had no chance of making it. Let me give you some examples that we have as tools today. And I told you God, was, God provides the tools. Let me give you some examples of what we have right now that can help you break a habit if you're overweight. You can, you can see a doctor, a nutritionalist. You can get a personal trainer, get a gym membership, juicers, oils, pills, videos, liposuction, stomach bands, protein shakes, cool sculpting. You can take supplements like CLA, chromium picolinate, choline, carnitine, creatine. You can take caffeine to boost your metabolism. You can go on a special diet. 
You can go on the Mediterranean diet, the Paleo diet, the Atkins diet, the blood tape diet, gluten-free diet, low-fat diet, low-carb, high-protein, vegetarian diet, and vegan diet. You got it all. You can even work out. I only had two of these. I'm going to give you a few. You can do free weights, which is what I did. Body weight, high rep, low rep, static, kinetic, spin class, body pump, bands, hip-hop abs, yoga, plyometrics, pilates, kettlebell training, crossfit, insanity, walking, running, bicycling, boot camp, extreme boot camp, cardio sculpt, low impact cardio, cardio extreme, bozu fitness, zumba, tabata, silver sneakers, step class, turbo kick, turbo jam, turbo fire, P90X 1, 2, and 3, 6 minute abs, 10 minute trainer, 21 day challenge, 21 day fix, focus T25, and the Brazilian butt lift. You have it all at your disposal right now. So the excuse to change anything isn't that God show me a way. It simply can be that 12 year old boy who said, I've had enough. Now what do I do, God? That's all it takes. That's a step forward. That's what it took for a 12 year old boy who had no shot of making 80 pound loss. He had no education, he had no formal training. All he knew was to cut the food he ate and to start running and working out. It was a simple thing. But, so why is it so hard to change? Why is it so hard to change? Well, number one, if you're following along your bulletin, it's because I've had them so long. You did not get the way you are overnight. Some of us took 50 years to get this good. So many patterns were established in childhood, early adolescence, and it's just things we've done into, into young adult and late adult life. It's just who we are. Although this is uncomfortable, it is familiar. And so we do not let go of the familiar very easily. I identify with my defects. As crazy as this sounds, I define myself by my good and I define myself by my bad. I'm trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, thrifty, cheerful, brave, clean, irreverent. I'm all those things, Boy Scouts. And I'm also obsessive compulsive. Have you ever done that? And you kind of throw the, throw the negative out there? I'm obsessive compulsive. And, and, you, and it's almost like you want a reward for your defect. Because we identify with our defects so well. So you want to change something, look at someone who's proud to throw out their defect, and, and, and it's like it's a prize. It's not. Without batting an eye, they throw out their defect. I was like that. I was mama's big eater. And I was proud. I was also fat. Because my defects have a payoff, we don't do anything without a payoff. It can, it can mask real pain. It can give us an excuse to fail. It can compensate for guilt. I can use my, my problem to control others. I'm obsessed compulsive, hon. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it's going to be because I'm obsessed compulsive and I get to control this. That's not true. You use your defect to control things. I can even use it to get attention. Yep, I'm the big eater. Sure am. Put an eating competition in front of me. I'll beat you. The defects have payoff. The, the payoff can be this big. Pornography, for the moment, it, it's great. This, this is your payoff. Lost my wife, lost my kids, have no relationship with them, going through a costly divorce. But there was a payoff. I'm an angry guy. Hit my wife, lost my family, lost my kids, lost touch. There's the, what we do, the, all that we do, we have these defects. And one of the reasons we don't get rid of them is because there's a payoff. At some point, there's a payoff. And it could be this big, and we lose this much, but we focus on what we, we get there. At the bar after work, spent three hours, got home, saw my wife late, did this for five straight years, lost my wife, lost my dog, lost my house, lost my car, costly divorce. But the bar was fun. Lost my wife, lost my car, lost my dog. Costly divorce. There's a payoff. 
because Satan discourages me. You may say, well, how do I hear Satan's voice? I can't even hear God's voice. Truth is, he does. He speaks into you all the time. You can't do it. You're a failure. You're not born to win. You're born to lose. Look at your parents. Look at your brother. Look at your sister. Look at your children. You're a poor parent. You can't make it happen. That's Satan speaking. And he'll even say this. You can't get rid of your defect. You'll self-destruct. People won't like you anymore. Stop going to the bar. You'll lose your friends. That's Satan. I have a relative... He's actually, uh, he married my mom's first cousin, so he's my first cousin once removed by marriage. I'm going to call him my uncle. He's 70 years old. He, he, when, we were, when I was growing up, he treated me like a, like a son, nephew, so I'm going to call him my uncle. I'm going to call her my aunt, okay? My uncle, I didn't know this about, I, I remembered, as I was preparing this sermon, I, I remembered, I feel like God kind of told me, hey, you remember the story that he quit smoking years ago? So I, I called my mom. I said, mom. What happened to Pete? Did he stop smoking? Yeah, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. So I called my aunt out of the blue. She lives in Florida now. I hadn't talked to her in months. Hey, could you tell me about what Pete did? She goes, yes, I will. And she's happy for me to share this story with you. He started smoking when he was 13 years old. He smoked two to three packs a day from the age of 13 to 28. He smoked for 15 years, two to three packs a day and sometimes more. He got married to a beautiful woman. He was 28 years old. The day after he got married, he looked at her and he said, I want to live a nice long life with you. And he put the cigarette out, and he threw his cigarettes away, and he moved on. His will to change lasted for 42 years. He never touched it again. It was done. Pete, my uncle, put it down, looked at his beautiful wife and said, I'm done. 42 years later, he's 70 right now doesn't have emphysema. He's lived a long life. They raised three beautiful children. It's a decision he made 42 years ago. It's very possible. I'm proud of him. And in fact, it's funny how stories get lost in, human, in our families. You know, these, these wonderful stories. It's kind of like the fly in the ointment. Everybody remembers the fly. If, if Pete had gotten drunk at a party 42 years ago, everybody remembers that. Oh, Pete's the drunk. But, but the story 42 years ago about that, that quiet day when Pete just put the last cigarette out, why isn't that passed along? How do I cooperate with God's change process? Here's the answer. Here's the, here's the last point you'll see on your bulletin. Focus on changing one defect at a time. I, I would love for everybody to change every defect right now. But it's really easier if you, you take a, a, a list and say, God, here's my defects. Which one do you want to change? In fact, which one's doing the most damage in my life? Let's, let's, let's go there. Let's change these defects. So your best thing is to say, God, which one's causing the most damage? And then pray specifically for that, that issue. If you really don't have a drinking problem, but you've got an eating problem or you've got uh, a smoking problem, you really it's not about drinking at this moment. It's about the smoking problem or it's about... You fill in the blank. And you work with God. And so you focus on one at a time. Focus on victory one day at a time. Matthew 6.11. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 6.34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus was speaking to his disciples as a good leader. He told his disciples, look, we've got problems behind us. We've got problems in front of us. I've got the cross to bear, and I've got to do that in a few years. 
But right now, let's focus on what we have to do right now. That's what Jesus said. Focus on right now. So when you wake up in the morning, you got an anger problem. God, I'm trusting you to take this one away today. In fact, for the next three hours, God, for the next interaction, for the next hello, for the drive to work, I pray that I'm not angry. Whatever it is, you get moment by moment. And you figure out the techniques that takes you to get through that moment. And you keep applying that day after day after day. And you go day after day. And you thank God at the end of the day. I actually got, when I was a young kid at 12 years old, who had no shot of making this, I actually said to myself, what is this bite doing for me right now? When I finally figured out that cheesecake wasn't moving me in the right direction. I mean, I really, you may think it's fun. I love chicken fingers, tater tots. Ho-Ho's, you name it, Twink, I loved them. Oh man, they were great. And, and, and I'd eat a ton of them. A plate of chicken fingers and ketchup, that was dinner. So I actually had to figure, at some point I did enough reading, you know, between 12 and 13 and 14, that it said that fried food isn't good. Fried food equals bad. And so I actually started questioning myself every bite. I mean, how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. How do you step towards fixing things? One bite at a time. Literally, for me, it was one bite at a time. And I had to figure out that eating this chicken finger is not going to take me the direction I need to go. Okay, so do I choose a chicken finger or do I choose grilled chicken? I had to choose grilled chicken. Then I had to say, well, what's my side? Is my side french fries or potato chips or is it fruit or vegetables? Okay, this bite needs to be fruit or vegetables. It was literally to the minutia of what bite am I going to take next. So when I say one day at a time, it could literally be one spoonful at a time. One 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 cigarette down, whatever it is, one at a time. Focus on God's power, not my power. Depending on your own strength will, will roadblock recovery. If you want to do this on your own and you don't want to give God glory, and you don't want, then you're actually going to reject God's power and his blessing. I said in Romans, or I copied in Romans what Paul wrote to Rome, that he will show the will by blessing your life. Well, if you want to do the right thing, but you want to do it in your own strength and you want to kick God out of the picture, then God won't exactly go there and bless that. So if you're going to do something, do it in, in God's power. He wants you to prove his will. Romans 12, prove my will. Prove my good, acceptable, and perfect will. Romans 12. Focus on what I want, not on what I don't want. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Nowhere in there does it say, dwell on what you've done wrong and figure out a solution. It simply says, dwell on what you're supposed to do right. Dwell on the noble, the honorable, the wise. If anything is, is, is worthy of praise, dwell on those things. So if you tell yourself, I'm not going to lie, 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 then you keep, you keep reinforcing the negative. If you say, I'm going to tell the truth, I'm going to tell the truth, I'm going to focus on the truth, and you, and you live into that, that's much different than saying what you're not going to do. Focusing on what you're going to do that's praiseworthy and honorable is much different than focusing on what you're, you're trying to get rid of. Focus on doing good, not feeling good. But it doesn't... My feelings don't lie. Yes, they do. Galatians 5.16. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of your flesh. The desires of your flesh, many times, are your feelings. I'm at my computer, it's late at night, but I feel like looking at this site. That's the flesh speaking. It's a feeling that's lying to you right now. The Spirit really doesn't want you to go. God's really not into you going to the wrong site right now. God's really into you doing the right thing and going to love your wife. That's, that's, the, that's the right thing. So don't focus on your feeling. It, food was like this. We'll go back to my example. Food was like this. I loved chicken fingers, french fried, tater tots, and ho-hos. I loved them. Fried up. And when I found out later you could fry ho-hos at the county fair, life was even better. So, but the point is, I loved it. And after I decided to make the change, and get, by the mercy of God, I made that change, then the, the I don't, I'm not really a fan of chicken fingers. I'm not really a fan of french fries, ho-hos, tater tots, because of, because of what I've, I've done for so long. My new habit is grilled food, grilled vegetables, fresh, veg, fresh fruit. My new habit's that. So when I go back to the old habit, it actually doesn't taste right anymore. So focusing on what's good and not on me feeling good, changed the game. It changed my feelings. You, you can control your muscles, but you can't control your feelings. Control the muscles till your feelings catch up. We had a saying in Boy Scouts when I was, when I was one of the, the, the youth. I was actually in Boy Scouts. I became an Eagle Scout. Um, my, one of my scout masters, I woke up one day and I said, I don't feel like leading these guys. I'm too tired. And he said to me, boy, you're going to fake it till you make it. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, you're the only leader I've got, plus you're going to act like a leader till you feel like a leader. And that was some wisdom. It, when you're telling a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy, you're going to fake it till you can make it. And if that boy actually accepts that wisdom, he's gained something. Good for you. The other thing I heard when I was, when I was in high school was my, my high school wrestling coach would say this. When we were jogging around the room and we were, we were, we were kind of like the delta of, of New York State. We did not lose a match for eight straight years. Our high school didn't. We were, we were pretty good wrestlers, and I was one of the captains of the team. But my coach, he actually coached an Olympic wrestler, Lou Roselli, and he took him to the Olympics. That's, we had a great coach. Um, he, he had this saying. We were getting tired jogging around the room, and we've been jogging, training for an hour and a half. He'd say this to us. He'd say, jog until you catch your breath. Like, what are you talking about? I'm jogging, I'm losing my breath. But his point was, is you jog and you keep going until you're ready to do it again. And you keep going. And that's like this. You're not going to feel like doing the right thing. But you keep doing it till that's what you're going to do. Focus on people who help me. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You've heard mom say this your whole life. Put the good... Follow the good friends. I really like Johnny. He was good for you. I don't like Steve. He's not so good. You've heard this your whole life. Focus on the right people at the right times in your life who are going to reinforce the right principles. And this is my plug to say there's the counseling center. We have a counseling center that has the right people in there that are licensed, that, that have masters, PhD. They're in there. They know their stuff. This is my plug. If you're thinking about it, they're phenomenal. They do great work. Focus on progress, not perfection. You, you might feel like this. I've been trying to do the right thing for two months, and I still don't feel like doing the right thing, and it's still not working. Keep going for another two months. Fake it till you can make it. Jog till you can catch your breath. 
But I don't feel like... And, and so you're going to focus on the problem. Sometimes when we've got ointment and we've got a fly in the ointment, going back to Solomon's words, sometimes we focus so much on that fly and, that, and we've gotten everything out of that The only thing that's left of that fly is his wing in the ointment. And you're, and you're sitting there and you, we still focus that wing and we disregard all the progress we've made. Don't do that. Don't take the progress you've made and dismiss it because you're not there yet. This is going to take years. I still struggle with it. I, I have a hard time having dessert after, I like dessert after meal. But now, in my mind, I, I go to this, this young boy who, gosh, I can't go there or I'm going to get fat. No, you're not. You can eat in moderation. So I still struggle. I still have that wing in there that, that confuses me who I am right now. It confuses me. You're going to have this for a long time. But focus on the progress, not perfection. I also say this, living who we are, we've made the choices we've made, there are problems. There are choices. To change who we are would say that we weren't perfect before. And that requires a humble heart. So what, the techniques I've done to try to get over this stumbling block of humility, because sometimes I can be pretty egotistical and proud, is I have to first try to drop and be humble. But the next thing I do is I say, if my life were someone else's, and I were to look at that person, Chris, Chris Smith, not Chris Say, if that was Chris Smith living my life, what would I, because we do this a lot, we'll go home at night and we'll say, can you believe Chris Smith, can you believe he did this or said this or did that? We do, we do this, don't lie if you haven't. Um, we'll say, can you believe so-and-so did this? Well, now look at your life as if in a mirror and, and look at that and say, can you believe that guy did that? Well, that was you. That's how I have to do this. If, kind of pretend your life is a TV drama. Have you ever watched a drama on TV and you want to wring that guy's neck or that girl's neck for the stupid choices they're making? Well, pretend that's your drama. Pretend, pretend, put your life on the TV and, and analyze yourself as if it's not you. It makes it a lot easier to change who you are. Gosh, I really am egotistical. Man, I do put too many beers away. I, mm, I'm overeating. You, whatever it is. I am an angry person. I do snap at people. Whatever it is. So you look at that as if it's not you and then change it objectively. Put the feelings aside. They don't even, the, the feelings are going to lie to you. What am I doing right and wrong right now moving forward? I can't change what I did in the past. I'm facing the repercussions of that. But moving forward, what's the right step? I don't want to take the wrong step anymore. What's the right step? And I keep taking the right step until that becomes my new compass, just as Solomon said. So we've covered a few things. We've covered where defects come from. We've focused why we're reluctant to change. We've focused on how to cooperate with God's changing us. We've covered it all. You've got the, the bulletin outline in there to take home with you. Um, and now as we close, I want you to think about, think about your life. And I'll think about mine. And think about what, what's right and what's wrong. And then as we pray together, pray to God God, reveal to me, A, what's the fly in my ointment? And then B, pray, God, I need you to get this fly out of my ointment. I need your help. I need you to give me the strength to do it. Okay, can we do that? Let's bow our heads together. Dear God, you are great and you are powerful. God, thanks for your might and your power to change us and make us who you want us to be and to prove your will right. We pray that you... Work a change in us, work a miracle, and do it in your own strength. 
And God, we thank you for the breath of life. We thank you for Son Jesus. We also want to take a moment to thank you for the great day of independence we have and this great country we have. And just for, just for giving us the privilege to worship you in complete freedom. So God, we pray now with humble hearts, change us, make us new, fill us with your glory. We love you. In Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen.